didn't see you there. Something big is going on here. From hunting ghosts to Bigfoot, paranormal, UFOs, true crime, and more. We won't just be spouting articles. I was researching for your entertainment. The beginning of a new world. The best guac you'll ever fucking eat. True story. It's basically like one day you walk outside and you see that the ants are playing with matches. This, this is the Black, Black Cat, Cat Report. Report. See you on the other side. Like a mixture between Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, The Matrix, and a bunch of other movies that should have been left as trilogies, the story we're covering today will take us on a wild road trip through mythical lands with our BFFs like the Greys, the Anawaki, and a group of suspiciously similar people to the Men in Black. That's right. On today's episode, we'll be covering one of the many origin stories cited by those who believe in a flat Earth. The book we're covering... The Navigator Who Crossed the Ice Walls, Worlds Beyond the Antarctica, by Claudio Nocelli. While Claudio's story couldn't pass a plagiarism test if you compared it to the 1902 work of fiction by Richard James Morgan called The Iron Republic, the story of Utopia Beyond Antarctica, and this book is in fact listed as fiction nearly anywhere you could buy it, Believers view it as a work of historical fact and argue it to be revealing the shocking truth behind this world's complacent acceptance of a radial, manipulated reality. If you don't believe me, stick around to the end of the show when I'll be reading actual reviews I've found for this book. That said, before we knock them for their beliefs, which we will, I'll have to ask you to step back and maybe look at the history we accept other people believing. In the Christian Bible, there was a talking snake, a man that rose from the dead, a boy fought a giant with a slingshot in one, and Noah lived to be 950 years old. In Buddhism, when the young prince Siddhartha was left waiting under a tree all day, the tree's shadow stood still, and the 22nd of the 28 Buddhas, Vipassi, lived somewhere between 80,000 and 100,000 years, which wasn't all that uncommon as the average life expectancy at his time was... 84,000 years. And while less commonly believed these days, some people used to actually think aliens don't exist, or even more wild, that the government tells the truth. Regardless, the shit I'm about to read is as wackadoo, cuckoo bananas as you can get, and at times veers closer to a religious creation story than conspiracy theory or alternate history. Now, since we can't fly out, let's dig in. Welcome to episode 40 of the Black Cat Report. My name is Gil, and joined with me here today is the beautiful, the fresh, the always fashionable Selena. Hello. The still recovering from Richard Ramirez research, Joey. You can live from the land down under. Hey, how's it going? (laughs) (laughs) And as for the International Betsy Bay, unfortunately... They have terrible Wi-Fi where she's at, and she's being forced to live in the moment and party her butt off with friends, as today is her birthday. Happy birthday, Betsy Bay. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! But fear not, everyone. We do have a surprise special guest host. Now, for the very first time, but definitely not the last, we are being joined with today by one of our listeners, hailing all the way from the state of Ohio, Tim. Tim, how are you doing today, man? Uh, doing great. Thanks. Good to be here. Hell yeah, man. Thank Yay. you so much for coming on. We're, mm-hmm. we're super stoked to have you. You uh, you ready to uh, truck across this flat earth? Mm. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. 
Our story today begins with the ending of the American Revolutionary War and focuses on the travels of one man, William Morris, a member of the Continental Navy who is about to have way too much time on his hands and somehow managed to get paid well as a sailor. It was mid-October, 1777, and coasting along the banks that night, sailing back to Charleston Harbor, Morris was laughing away with his crew as they all spun tall tales while sipping down whiskey below deck. The British had just surrendered at Saratoga, effectively marking the end of the war, and all the soldiers knew it. Now, at some point in the night, tales of Captain James Cook, specifically his obsession with trying to cross the Arctic Circle, came up, and nearly all the men began laughing. Now, silent the whole evening, this laughter opened up a door for one Captain Butler to speak up. Well-respected, not just in rank, but worldly experience, the group of men essentially shut up when he opened his mouth and proceeded to set them straight on the matter. Yarg, I happen to know quite a bit about this matter behind the Arctic Wall. The men's smiles fell flat. Yarg, many people have been funding research into it. Believe there are new lands on the other side, Yarg. Civilizations we've yet to reach, Yarg, and I, myself, Captain Butler, have seen maps showing the coordinates of the passage, Yarg. Everyone waited for a punchline that never came, and the captain continued on for an hour, leaving the men in amazement. And this was the moment the seed was planted for William Morris. The cigarette guy? (laughs) (laughs) Philip Morris? Yeah, he's he's Philip Morris' grandpa. His grandpa. (laughs) Great, 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 great grandpa. (laughs) It makes sense. (laughs) Well, fast forward now to just after the war ended. By this point, Morris had become obsessed with the idea of crossing the Antarctic ice wall. And the newly established United States, in far more need of money than it was a naval fleet, began selling off ships used during the war. So... Morris put down a bid that was frankly way too high for an old beat-up warship, and, unsurprisingly, he won. Now, the second he got whatever the equivalent of getting the keys to a ship is, Morris threw a massive amount of money into getting it all repaired and having all the navigation equipment upgraded. Anything and everything he could think of that would help make the long trek south. Next, Morris set out to find a crew. He knew they needed to be the best of the best, folks willing to face the unknown parallels beyond the South Pole, beyond imagination, beyond common sense itself. So he reached out to his battle-hardened brothers-in-arms from the war and was pretty much turned down by all of them with, quote, the most ridiculous excuses. Er, um, I'm uh, pretty sure I'm going to be having dysentery that weekend. Sorry, bud. <laughs> Now, I say pretty much all of them because the only two folks on his list of first picks that did agree were, not surprisingly, both there that night that Captain Butler was sharing his tales. Saddened by all the rejection, but stubborn and committed as ever, Morris settled on a B-team of sailors whose names never get mentioned in the rest of the book and are only referred to as the crew. I think they had a TV show named after them. I'm trying to think of like a B-knockoff for like Mr. T. Mr. B. Mr. B. Mr. B. Mr. B would be the first one. (laughs) I pity the foolish individual. (laughs) Instead of of Captain Book, it'd just be Captain Captain Hook, it'd be Captain Book. (laughs) He just only wears giant silver chains all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just slightly one step down all the time. (laughs) Can you imagine, though, like nowadays, if you could buy a a warship, like a a (laughs) disc. 
like buying like an old destroyer and just driving that around the the sea <laughs> and just being like, "Yep, I'm in my old U.S. destroyer. Yep, we uh, mm-hmm. we're going to the ice wall, boys." <laughs> and this is the U.S. Coast Guard. Um, w- would you consider please stopping the ship? <laughs> I'm like, sorry, we don't know uh, how. <laughs> it's cool if you don't want to. Yeah. Uh, have a good day. Yeah. Um. Damn, that'd be the shit. I know you can buy like decommissioned tanks and shit like you that. You can, yeah. Which would be pretty sick. Um, the only thing Morris needed now was a captain. And who could be more perfect than the man who inspired the dream? The man who'd seen the maps. The man who literally had the coordinates to the great gap in the Arctic ice wall. Captain motherfucking Butler. Well... Nervous as all hell, but with everything else in place, Morris reached out, told Captain Butler the plan, the ship, the crew, the progress, and the men inspired by his word and willing to travel to new worlds. Yarg, that sounds absolutely amazing! I can't believe you pulled such a plan together, such a crew, such a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity! Yeah, and we were all kind of hoping you would, you know, like, lead the trip, you know, as, like, you know, captain? Yarg, yeah, I, uh, yarg, ooh. Ah, yeah. Uh, when did you when did you say you were going, Garg? Oh, um. Well, we were going to leave in late fall, so we would arrive in you know the the late spring. Garg. Ah, ah. Yeah, that's a Garg. That's a shame. I uh, I got a baby shower that weekend. Sorry, bud. And so Captain Butler just straight up said no over and over again as Morris pleaded with him for weeks. It's a little. That's a little um concerning when the person who was like so confident who pulled the whole thing together was like uh nope <laughs> just, just like tipping Not out on that it's yeah like... sorry guys good luck good luck though yeah you might it's get like, there bro you yeah good luck getting there i mean hey i came across it i believe in you you got this good luck <laughs> well this brings us to the morning of october 11th captain butler shows up at morris's house along with a weird quiet fellow named Fint. That's his name. It's the weirdest fucking name I've ever heard in my life, but whatever. So he's with this weirdo named Fint. They come inside, gather around a table, and Butler pulls out a bunch of strange maps and documents. He then looks over to Morris and says, Yarg, I accept but on three conditions. One, and my homie Fint here can come. Two, this is a one-way trip. And three, we're going to need to be professional about this. Elated by the sudden change in heart, Morris agrees, and they settle on November 14th as their departure date. With barely one month to finish preparations, Morris and the crew begin having meetings almost daily. Excitement is through the roof, and every moment that passes brings the adrenaline of adventure closer to their fingertips. But with strange goals come stranger setbacks. On November 12th, With everything in place and everyone prepared to leave in just two days, Morris receives a knock at his door. It's Finn. And there's an odd-looking fellow standing next to him, dressed from head to toe in all black. That's right. We've got an old-timey man in black. Whoa. Even in the revolutionary times. I know, right? This, This might be one of the earliest documented cases I can think of with that. But this dude fits... He fits the uh, he fits the profile. Let me put it that way. He's just very gangly and like <laughs> basically, <laughs> it's just like rubbing red lipstick off of his mouth and like trying to find every penny he can to dissolve it. Yeah. Um, 
Well, Fint demanded that they be let inside immediately. Of course. Hey, Morris, we need to chat ASAP. Like, um, <clears throat> inside your house, like, like right the fuck now. Um, yeah, ch- ch- sure. So they busted and came inside. Fint opens a briefcase, pulls out an old-looking manuscript, and begins reading it out loud. This is this is about to get weird. Then by demand, I subscribe in major importance hereby desire of our lords that the doors of knowledge be closed to those who refuse to be part of our glorious path and liberties granted. End quote. He continues reading out loud for a little while until Morris asks if this is some kind of initiation rite. Now, I'd like to point out here, everything I'm about to read is pulled as a direct quote from the book. Quote, Exactly, comrade. Precisely those who did not pass this initiation are the marginalized. Better said, we are the marginalized. Finn, I demand, please explain a little. I'm not understanding anything. What does this text mean and what does it have to do with our trip? Look, I'm going to explain a little of the situation. This manuscript belongs to the custodians, as we call them, or as they call themselves, the sun gods and they found out about your trip through butler the high spheres are aware of it and it does not make them happy this manuscript raises that they will not let anyone leave these lands by demand of the lords who are these custodians it's just morgan freeman (laughs) it's just morgan freeman Well, Fint went around in circles, and his strange friend opened his mouth for the first time, interrupting. He commented that these custodians were not happy about our trip, and that was the only thing they could tell me. End quote. Fint went on to say that in no uncertain terms that the trip should be canceled in order to avoid risking everyone's lives. Morris promptly told them they need to get the hell out of his house, then ran over to Captain Butler's place to try and ask him what was going on, and, surprise, he wasn't there. Morris proceeded to gather his crew, told them about the weird interaction with Fint, and learned that the captain had been missing for weeks. They then all agreed the trip should be postponed until they can find the captain. So... At this point, they're finally dipping into high strangeness, right? Like, you actually have, like, this this crazy, you know, sailor tale, you know, like, kind of, like, shit about, like, there's uh, there's shit beyond, you know, the Arctic walls and all this stuff. There's inspired. They finally have a team of people that are, like, we're going in. We're going to find this shit. Finally got the captain on the board, on board. And now, basically, Men in Black and some weird-ass little lackey dude, Fint, like, shows up and is threatening them in one of the weirdest ways possible. He's just like belting out this like rite of passage fucking initiation right thing, <laughs> not explaining a goddamn thing and assuming that like Morris understands the context of any of this, right? Shit's weird. A lot of that is quoted directly from the book. And again, like I said, I will be reading reviews at the end of this episode. People believe this as fact. Like, this shit's about to get real fucking weird, so just buckle up. People also believe that Dianetics is fact, too, so. It's true. Yeah, I mean, true. people, people want to believe what they, you know, people want to believe something that they can latch on to. People that are looking for meaning, it it makes complete sense. It's, it's, it's cool and interesting, you know, as long as you don't murder people or, you know, hold people hostage or 
down other people's beliefs or make sure that other people can't live their life, then believe what you want. Uh, <laughs> you know? Well, Joey, that is fine and good. I am here to bash everybody's beliefs equally. And I'm just going to say <laughs> that I think a lot of times people get into flat earth like conspiracies, whether they go down a YouTube rabbit hole or whether it's Craig that works with them at the convenience store or like whatever the fuck happens. People get into flat earth beliefs and it's like a slow indoctrination into it like you don't actually realize like what's yeah. at the end of the belief cycle right the the belief path you just kind of start to question like yeah how come this is that way yeah how come this is that way and so on and so forth and you start questioning things and you start believing the conspiracies and and this is why i wanted to do this episode is because beyond the like just the hours of mind-numbingly like boring pseudo math that flat earthers will try to convince you like this and that and the other in circumference blah, blah. besides all of that pseudo math um they do believe that there is like a history to the flat earth that shit has happened in the past beyond the their beliefs in like nasa cover-ups and like all of the nations coming together and basically being like you're not allowed to escape this flat earth area and see the rest of everything right they believe in a history behind it and that's something that I feel like folks that get into it don't find until much, 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 much later, right? So there's that. And I'm just like, hey, if you're going down this route, this is one of the bases of it. And the second part is so much of this crazy wackadoo shit actually has infiltrated into so many other conspiracies, which we'll see a little bit further into the script. Like so many other little conspiracies that don't seem related actually trace back to flat earth beliefs and so if you go far enough in those conspiracies you eventually come back into convincing yourself there's a flat earth it's it's fascinating as fuck to me i i do want to you know uh kind of chime in here about using the word conspiracies i just want to say that it's more like truths so i think we should start calling them truths because i did kind of go down a youtube whole yesterday when we talked about flat earth and i when i was actually trying to disprove it and um mm-hmm. i kind of um we'll find out later in the episode what i believe so i'll just keep listening <laughs> tim tim what's your what's your vibe with all this how do you feel about uh flat earth beliefs uh what do you what do you know about it what do you like what what are what's your thinking so far of this backstory because we're about to hit a point where it's just like there is just like these people that are going to cross the arctic wall we're going to hit a point of no return here pretty soon i'm not sure man. I, I don't believe it's a flat earth but <laughs> i believe people are allowed to believe what they want <laughs> mm-hmm. full on to yeah. a certain extent <laughs> Yeah. Well, you can believe, yeah. You can believe mm-hmm. anything you know, if you want to. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And that's getting into this shit. I realize like how much it veers on like religious beliefs. Like it starts to feel like a religious like creation story. And that obviously like made me think about like well what are the other religions creation stories and they're they're, you know, all the shit wrapped into it. And I'm like, honestly, we accept a lot, like if somebody you just met on the street, you're like, yeah, they're a really nice guy. Oh, well, you know, they're they're kind of religious. They go to church every Sunday. Anyways, we're going over there for dinner. You wouldn't judge them. You'd just be like, yeah, they're cool. Whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, they, whatever. And the only reason why it's like so easy to poke and make fun of and like knock folks that are into flat earth is because they're they're in a smaller community. They're marginalized. They're not 
you know, like the majority. <clears throat> if they were a majority. And also, there's like direct science disproving that the Earth is flat. And there's direct science proving so... an evolution. Yeah. My my favorite is the guy who um accidentally killed himself recently. It was a couple of years ago. Um, the guy who like kept building rockets oh, to yeah. fly up, mm-hmm. and he was like, "No fucking filter, no regulation, bro. I'm gonna see how flat this bitch is for myself." And the first time he went up, and he and it was all recorded, and everything was rounded, and he was like, "It was the curvature of the windows that fucked it up, or something like that." He's like, "I'm gonna do it again," and so the second time he did it, he blew himself up. Um, but, dude, <laughs> and I mean, a hundred percent respect and props for like fucking like being like i got a belief i'm gonna prove this bitch i respect that to no end how most right? science he is, is not, done yeah i i respect that to no end but there was a fun point of irony which again goes back to like this has this has uh threads of almost like religious like faith in mm, it yeah, where it he's does. just like he saw it with his own eyes and still was like nope couldn't have been right. Going to try again. And it's just like, how many times do you need to do that, my man? If that, you know, like, it, there's that blind faith. Mm-hmm. If that dude didn't, like, hop on the rocket himself, he could have created SpaceX's counterpoint, Flatex, you know, and could have just made the, <laughs> and could have just made that company go against Elon Musk. There you go. He could have been a, yeah. mil- a billionaire by not strapping oh my himself. God. On the morning of November 14th, Captain Butler bursts into Morris's house with maps and supplies in hand and says, quote, Yarg, it's time to leave, comrade. He then goes on to explain he was hiding for security and to keep the map they needed for the trip safe. Overwhelmed by all this, Morris asks if Captain Butler knew about the custodians. Quote, the story is not the one we were told, William. The creators of the pyramids and another race, as they call themselves, the custodians, have no interest in letting us cross the South Pole. He told me that they found out about our travel plans via Fint, who had betrayed him, and that the trip had to be made today or we would never be able to make it, end quote. Ordering Morris to gather the crew immediately, the captain promised to bring him up to speed on everything once they were safely on the water. And so he did. By that evening, Morris, Captain Butler, and the crew would watch as the port of Charleston faded slowly out of sight. The adventure had begun. Come sail away. Come (laughs) sail away. Well, stopping once in South America to get more supplies, it took the crew 138 days to reach the waters around the Arctic. By this point, it was late spring, and they were staring at the ice wall. At almost 300 feet high, the crew was overwhelmed by the immense scale of it. Noticeably unfazed by the wall, Captain Butler held his composure and ordered the crew to follow along its edge. Gyarg, I've seen bigger. And so they did. Keeping their distance at just a few hundred yards from the wall, they sailed for hours, just coasting along the edge. Suddenly, the ship whipped around to face the wall. They had been grabbed by an intense current that began speeding their ship towards it. Panic set in as the crew lost control of steering the ship, and they came closer and closer to the massive wall of ice. As if everything was going according to plan, the captain kept calm. Moments before impact, the crew saw a small opening in the wall. The ship's speed increased. The current began pulling it even more and more violently into this narrow passage. 
To everyone but Butler's surprise, they were now being pulled down this narrow channel into the depths of the ice wall. Known as the Summer Gates, this opening in the wall is only accessible once the majority of ice caps have melted. Anyways, once they made it through, they discovered the waters around them to be black, just Basically, the way the crew explained it, or the, the way Morris explained it in his writing, was that literally the ocean was just jet black because of how deep it was. Doesn't actually make any sense, but it's cool for the picture. After cheers of relief from the crew, Butler ordered the men to gather for a meeting. But no sooner did he call this meeting than their attention was grabbed by a man yelling down from the crow's nest, They're coming towards us! It's something gigantic! Looking off into the distance, they see a massive ship, the kinds of which no one had ever seen before, heading straight towards them. As it approached, an intense sound flooded in, almost causing the men to drop to their knees in pain. <laughs> I don't know. I just picture it being some crazy-ass shit. <laughs> it's just like a dance club on the water. Well, thankfully, it only lasted for a moment before leaving the air filled with silence. Regaining their composure, the crew became aware of the strange ship that was now only a few hundred yards from them, at which point, as if from an intercom, a voice, speaking in a slight British accent, echoed out, Dear gentlemen from the walled lands, some of our men are coming down to approach your boat. Please remain calm, as we will do you no harm. Captain Butler turned towards the crew. Yarg, relax, mateys, this was bound to happen. All the while in the distance, three men were boarding a small craft attached to the larger ship. Once aboard, the three men shook Butler's hand, one of them introducing themselves as the captain before he spoke up. It's been a long time since we've seen someone from the known lands in these waters. What are, what are you boys doing out this way? Captain Butler replied, Yarg, we were sailing through the Arctic, you see, and then a current grabbed us, you see, pulled us uh, through the ice wall, you see, and, well, we figured why not sail it, you see, and now we're here, you see. Morris picked up a sense of calm from Butler, like somehow he knew these three folks, but before he could think too much further into this, they gave an unsettling reply. Sorry about our approach. It's it's protocol right now. Usually, we're much more welcoming to visitors. Anyways, here's a map. Uh, it'll take you to safe lands. Someone in the crew spoke up. Safe lands? Does that mean there are unsafe lands? Well, the lands you come from are quite unsafe, aren't they? Replied one of the three men in the greeting party. You'll be fine. Just follow the map we gave you. Morris couldn't hold in his questions any longer. Where did you where did you come from, sir? One of the three then replied, From the Ancestral Republic, sir. The three then got back on their small craft and made their way towards the larger ship, constantly looking around the entire time, almost in like a paranoid manner as they made their way. Butler immediately ordered the men to head full speed towards the Ancestral Republic, leaving no time for his confused crew to gather their thoughts and start asking questions. Midway to their destination, Butler was finally asked if there was anything they should know before they dock at the Ancestral Republic. He basically just dodged the question by simply reassuring them they would find their answers once they made it, which seems to be a constant theme of this story. Every experience just brings more and more, and more unanswered questions. But, anyways. Alright, so yeah, at this point, 
finally got the crew together. They fucking like made their way past South America. They made their way through the ice wall. They were all like, yay, we made it. And they were like, what the fuck is that? And a giant ass ship was just approaching them on a black sea. Very cinematic, right? Um, and then these people popped up and they were all just like, yeah, so like, uh, anyways, you need to get the fuck out of here. There's actually some sketchy shit going on. We'd normally be a lot more chill. Here's a map. Here's some coupons for Sephoria. You'll have a great time. Get your way over to the Ancestral Republic. Everybody's just confused besides Butler. Well, the crew arrived in what can only be described as a bustling modern city. And by modern, I'm talking about advanced past even today's standards. Vehicles silently moving around through the streets, massive buildings, all that. Picture uh, picture the city in the fifth element, but without hover cars and Bruce Willis as a taxi driver. I would also like to point out here that in the book, it's said that the crew is amazed that they can seem to find the means by which light bulbs are connected to electricity throughout the, hit, throughout the city. This is a problem because light bulbs weren't invented until January of 1880, and this is supposed to be happening in the 1700s. But who am I to start attacking this book right now? They saw the future. <laughs> yeah. And the future like, is now. <laughs> the future is now. But there is a section where they're like, oh, how are these connected to electricity? And it's like a whole part, and I'm like, this is dumb as fuck. First off, light bulbs weren't invented yet. <laughs> Second off, I don't even know if like Ben Franklin like, you know, got struck by lightning with a fucking kite at this point, the kite and the key like situation. Like we were very rudimentary in our understanding of electricity at this point in time. So there for there to be a crew of people that were all just like, "How is this working?" Like it, it, they should have just been amazed by everything, not just the fucking light bulbs that were in the street. <laughs> but again, I digress. Anyways, pretty soon the crew was approached by representatives from the Ancestral Republic, and they are asked to come with them to meet the president, Fa'el. When they get there, Fa'el explains that the Republic is on the edge of war, the custodians are advancing, and then at any moment, shit's going to pop off. Okay, so at this point, the book goes on and on and on with dialogue between Morris President Fahel, and Captain Butler. Most of the commentary is completely void of context, and all the questions raised are passed along to later chapters for clarifications and answers. In other words, it becomes a sci-fi drama where the reader is supposed to already understand the significance of everything, right? So we're just going to jump through all that BS and dive into what the story is actually attempting to make the reader believe, right? So... The meat of the beliefs about what's going on behind the ice wall, why humans are kept ignorant, and who truly runs the flat earth. As the book would have us believe, outside of the ice wall, there is such thing as the, quote, old humanity. It's called that because it's a population of humans that have escaped the methods of control perpetuated by the custodians and the Anuaki. What are the methods of control, you might ask? Well, every so often, humans grow too advanced, either spiritually, technologically, or both. At this point, the custodians and the Anawaki reset or reboot all of humanity. They do this via, quote, pests, floods, fires, plagues, wars, missiles, or war bombs they call asteroids, or it could be all that together, end quote. 
<laughs> after which the only after which the only humans that remain are newborn babies who are left to rebuild and repopulate the earth thus starting the whole cycle over again these oh, reboots just babies just babies fucking i i guess it's a bunch of baby fucking i don't know but that was technically back in the time when that was still legal so we can't judge them by that i guess i don't i don't i don't understand I think I think Boss Baby is this is kind of how that movie started actually. This is a Boss Baby situation. Yeah, yeah. Boss Baby meets Fifty Shades of Grey. These reboots and resets have happened a countless number of times. The exact amount is completely unknown, even to the humans watching from outside of the ice wall. And this brings us to human potential. To add more fuel to this brain cell fire, Morris is going to be informed that humans aren't living up to their full potential. You see, the truth is, at least according to the book, humans are actually supposed to live to be upwards of 240 to 250 years old. They also have immense spiritual and mental powers that make reality flexible to their will. And when they are allowed to exist as their nature intends... They will basically form a utopian society that rivals Karl Marx's wettest of wet dreams. By the way, that's not meant to be a knock on anti-capitalist beliefs, but is meant to be a knock on the idea that a massive hierarchical structure that controls and decides the fate of average people can somehow lead to a more freer world that's void of ruling elites self-interest. I don't think it can happen. I'm just saying. You know, the people in power are going to have self-interest. They're going to, you know, like, uh, keep it in their policies. That's my belief. Well, anyways, I digress. In the book, there is a human control program outlined ad nauseum that manages to combine and explain almost everything wrong with the world as not the acts of nature, God, nor human responsibility, but the very intentional efforts of the custodians. It claims that between resets, the custodians spread disease that, in effect, limit the true power of humans, that these manufactured diseases are given to the newborn babies left after resets, and that the effects are maintained between generations and resets by regularly poisoning the air. Now, if you're thinking this sounds vaguely similar to modern conspiracies around, sorry, to modern truths around chemtrails, <laughs> you would be right. In fact, the belief that there are races controlling humanity is firmly planted in the heart of many modern chemtrail theories. But enough about that for now. Let's get back to Morris, Captain Butler, and the crew. So that's what I'm getting at here. You go far enough into the chemtrail shit, you're going to start to find who? The Anuaki. That are behind the reptilians. That are behind the population control programs. That are behind the government setup. That are behind shit getting sprayed on people through airplanes. You go far enough down that rabbit hole, that's one of the fucking seeds of beliefs. Like That shit's fascinating to me. And it's not saying that there's there's no basis whatsoever for like shit being sprayed on people. Like, God damn it, all of Vietnam is a perfect example. But like, um, there is a total historical basis for this. And there is cloud seeding that takes place. And there's programs to try to get rain to come up in other countries and shit like that. That's like where there's droughts. But you go far enough down that rabbit hole and you circle back, ironically, to a flat earth. I don't know. What's, what's everybody's thoughts on this? 
I thought that was a bombshell, at least for me in looking this shit up. Yeah, it looks like they're trying to tie in their beliefs with a lot of other stuff so that more people with fringe beliefs are like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's definitely, what is it called? They're joining everybody to, to one, mm-hmm. you know, to one, like, central idea to, like, kind of like a pyramid so they can get more support for everything mm-hmm. they do. Because, like, you don't, you know, you don't, most people don't want to be the only ones believing something, you know? and so if there's like very little like people i mean there's those people that like oh us against the world but some people are like oh you know like this kind of ties into this thing and this ties into this thing and like don't you believe it too like look look at this little thing look at that little thing like they all tie into this little thing like let's let's all believe it together like oh wouldn't that make sense if it leads here you know and so it's they they obviously want the connection with other people you know they don't want to just be sitting at home on their computer by themselves on their YouTube hole, um, looking yeah. at their truths. Tim, what are your thoughts, my man? Um, I'm lost. <laughs> <laughs> well, where, 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 where are you lost at? Where are you lost? I'm, I'm following. Well, well, what are your thoughts about like the um, it tying back to some of the the foundations behind chemtrail shit? That was fascinating to me when I found it. Uh, chemtrails are amazing, aren't they? Yeah. It's a fucking insane they, uh, history. They're gonna well they're saving the world, you know. <laughs> <laughs> one streak at a time. Yeah, yeah. streaks at a time. And like, I don't know. I feel like with my, my view on like chemtrail stuff is like I don't put anything past um uh, a government or even at this point in time a a private industry right or a private company like just guinea pigging a large group of people i do not put that like you really have to ignore a lot of history and proven legal cases to do that like it has been a constant thing <laughs> and to just assume that everything only happened 20 years ago but then 20 years from now, we watch more documentaries and we're like, wow, can't believe that happened 20 years ago. 20 years from then, wow, can't believe that happened 20 years ago. It's kind of ridiculous, you know? Now, do I believe it to the full extent? Fuck no. Do I believe they do shit? Fuck yes, 100% of the time. Anyways, so since we last left them in the story, shit did pop off and war did come to the Ancestral Republic. Captain Butler managed to go missing again. A bunch of civilians were dying everywhere, and the crew barely made it back to the massive presidential building before all of them got separated in the chaos. Anyways, Captain Butler showed back up, told Morris, Yarg, don't worry, homie. I'll wrangle up the crew and bring them back here. <laughs> Morris then managed, and I'm not, I, I am not misre- misrepresenting here. Morris then managed to fall asleep on a bed in the middle of a bunch of people's like just crying and screaming and bodies and shit everywhere. It was a fucking weird situation. But also Morris has the habit multiple times in this book when it's a really stressful situation, just be like, I guess I could take a nap. <sighs> and then he just falls asleep somehow in the middle of chaos over and over again. He's like, I'm there's too much on my mind. How could I possibly? And then he woke me up four hours later. And Most I was like, people what the have fuck? fight or flight. He has fight or sleep and he just sleeps. <laughs> Oh my god, that explains Morris too well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, 
like I said, Morris fell asleep on a bed in the middle of a bunch of people uh, crying and screaming, only to be woken up by Butler and the whole crew standing around him. Everybody hugged. Then Captain Butler was like, Yarg, follow me. We're about to go on a secret mission to recruit the giants, a.k.a. the Anakim. That's right, motherfuckers. There's giants. So we're going full they circle. They all ran. <laughs> Dude, wait. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, again, ironically, somehow we're going full circle here. <laughs> we're going full square around this flat motherfucker. So they all ran through the blown up city and ended up on a futuristic blue spaceship thing that flew them from the ca- or flew them to the capital El Arca, aka the Ark, where everything was chill, but they couldn't hang out that long because they had to rendezvous with I don't know somebody that Captain Butler knew and basically semi-steal this like super massive super important ship so that they could sail to the land of giants and recruit them for the spore that was building right they sailed the ship towards the lands of the giants stopping only once along the way at a port where everyone realized Captain Butler was actually from beyond the ice wall what gave this away was the six-year-old girl and the woman that walked up to greet him on arrival it was his family Yarg, I missed you, Captain Daddy. Yarg, I missed you too, Skipper Penelope. Yarg, and you too as well, Captain Wife. Yarg, we... <laughs> Yarg, welcome home, Captain Husband. <laughs> Anyways, shit was weird. They stayed there for two days, then got back on their way towards the land of the giants. Well, I wish I was making this up. I mean, there there were less there were less yargs in the book, but literally it was just like a wife and a daughter. They were like dead, and like, and then they all chilled there for a couple days in the middle of a war. Well, their name was, was actually Captain. Like their their names were Captain. Like we think it's their yeah. Their, like yeah, we think it's their actual like yeah. they're they're uh, making jokes, but like yeah, her name was Captain Wife, his name was Captain Husband, and like that's their real names up yeah. there. Yeah, legally, legally they yeah. changed. Well, they didn't change them, but. Maybe they're born with it. Maybe it's Yarg. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, shit was weird. They stayed there for two days, then got back on their way towards the land of the giants. Now, in my opinion, the surprise they got when they reached the land of the giants was fucking golden. Turns out they were just slightly above average in height. I was about to say (laughs) that they were probably (laughs) like 5'8 or 5'. They were probably like 5'10 or 5'11. They, like, commented on it a bunch of times in the book, but they referenced everything in meters, which we all know is, like, a lost form of measurement. Mm-hmm. Like, who the fuck knows how to calculate that anymore? Yeah. So, Does like... most of the world, in- and just not us? We'll start calling them, uh... And, uh, and to everyone's surprise... <laughs> yes. Anti-freedom <laughs> units. Anti-freedom units. <laughs> Now, in my opinion, the surprise they got when they reached the land of the Giants was golden, yada, 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 yada. Turns out they were just slightly above average in height, and to everyone's surprise, they had clothes that fit. Now, props to this book for making me realize I had an unacknowledged stereotype of Giants. I don't know if it's just me, but does anyone actually picture Giants with nice, well-fitting clothes on? Am I the only one that had that revelation? Like, if I picture a Giant, they're always wearing, like, I don't know, a fucking loose burlap sack. Like, they're never in well-formed clothes, ever. Well, I think of Andre the Giant, and he, the wrestler, Mm. and he's never, he was never wearing well-fitting clothes. He was, like, all slabby. 
What are you talking about? That spandex was was very well fitting. That was oh yeah, that was very form fitting. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. form fitting. <laughs> Every nook and cranny visible. Yep. But I've never. It's always just looks like they're just all like fucked up and you caught them on laundry day you've never seen a depiction of a giant that's actually like well dressed well it takes a long time for them to do they're laundry trying to, they're trying to um make us look down on giants mm-hmm. because they're tired of being looked down on by giants yeah. Damn it, you're right, let's, girl. let's make giant positivity happen we need to because yeah, you giants know can be successful people with fitting clothes yeah you know what I support Ben Kissel from last podcast on the left. And I think we don't care what Henry and Marcus say. Yeah. I don't care what they say. Anywho. So besides being slightly above average in height and having a basic understanding of fabric and measurements, they also held the keys to the final most important part of the story behind the human race. Not long after the crew arrived on the land of the giants of Thoth, a.k.a. Land of the Giants, would Morris finally have his growingly complex questions answered. A giant by the name of Shiki would give him a book containing all the known history of the human race. The resets, the reboots, the wars, the alliances. All of it was there in that book that magically transformed itself in a way that reminds me, honestly, of the incident with Quasga, Betty, and the Bible copies he made just like Jesus made so many loaves of bread. Here again, I must break with the narrative of the book and give you the summary of all the BS it slowly indoctrinates you with. Before you go into that, I just imagine someone coming up, like the Giants coming up and being like, here's the reboots, and then they just handed him the Matrix 4. (laughs) (laughs) And then the human race, I just imagine that the Giants, like he's like, see the magic of the human race, and they go into this big coliseum, and there's just a bunch of regular-sized humans running around a track. And they're like the giants are betting on them like dogs and horses. <laughs> and they're like, he's just like, what is this magic? And he's like, we call it betting here, simple human. We bet on humans. It's. And then a human Joey... comes up and eats oats out of their palm. Yeah, yeah. Aww. Here you go. Come here. Come here, little human. Come here. Has a carrot in his mouth for him. Oh, my God. Ugh. All right, we're about to get into some shit. I know I've been introducing you guys like slowly to the the, the narrative, the creation story, the mythology behind the the human race um, as we know it in the known world, becoming aware of uh, of the fact that the Earth is flat and that there are more worlds, more flat worlds out there beyond the Arctic ice wall. Right? I know I've been slowly bringing you into this, and but but now at this point in the story you're about to learn the fucking scripture all right this is how can i put this this is the 10 commandments of a flat earth that's what you're about to hear and don't quote me on the count there are 178 known worlds and when i say known worlds i mean collections of continents that are encircled by some ring of land or ice. Each one of these 178 known worlds has a membrane or dome that covers them, basically creating their own unique ecosystem. Now, the custodians are basically a race of mega assholes who are trying to exploit, manipulate, and control 
everything similar to the Anawaki. And at one point in time, as they were cruising around trying to find more shit to break, they came across a dome that they couldn't get into. Almost like the Borg in Star Trek, right? Like that's that's how you should picture these motherfuckers. Well, not being able to get in pissed them off immensely. So along with their like-minded, mostly comrades, the Anawaki, they spent countless millennia trying to develop technology to get into that dome. At some point, they did get in, but whoever they sent in was immediately vaporized. Eventually, they put two and two together and realized, oh shit, these are the celestial lands, which basically means they're lands of conscious energy. Right, They're not a physical place, it's just an actual conscious energy that lives inside of this dome. Anyways, they nicknamed this energy the Source, which is almost a loose metaphor for God, but honestly not really. Anyways, so one day the Source was like, I'm bored, and split itself up into what were eventually called the Five Masters. These Five Masters created human beings and took home on Earth in four spots. Asgard, Lemuria, Atlantis, and Hyperbora. What? (laughs) Oh, we're still going, baby. We still got more. (laughs) Well... Time went by, the human population grew, and the custodians eventually showed up on Earth. When they got there, they found a bunch of gold, but they also found a bunch of these pesky humans. There was a big war, humans were mostly massacred, and the ones that were not killed were made to be either slaves or used in experiments. One of these experiments was sending humans into the celestial lands. Now, when they did this, the humans were also vaporized, but they noticed that the energy from the humans went directly into the celestial lands. At that point, they were like, oh, fuck, these humans have the potential to get into the celestial lands, which by that time were now rumored to have an access point in them called the Great Dome. This Great Dome would give you access to worlds outside of the 178 known worlds. So there's a lot of stuff Great Dome can do. <laughs> nice. Um, nice. So, so the custodians, afraid that if humans ever reach their full potential, will become more powerful than them, made it their mission to keep us down. While at the same time, the Anawaki had come in, convinced humans that they are gods, and enslaved us in order to gather gold for them. One such tactic they used was building the pyramids all around the planet, which are actually supposed to be used to control the weather. That's right, motherfuckers. The Anawaki are controlling the weather through pyramids. They put here multiple resets ago, but it's not really as effective anymore because so much shit's gotten fucked up. All right, so eventually, after countless resets and reboots, shit between the custodians and Anawaki soured. They had a really long, really intense war where they basically depleted each other's resources and populations down to levels that made it impossible for them to maintain the colonies they had set up on Earth. Now, the giants who had been watching all this shit from afar were now forced to get involved. Why? They had to change their minds when all of a sudden the warfare between the custodians and the Wanawaki 
basically came to their doorstep. They were like, fuck, all right, we can't be Sweden anymore, right? We need to fucking jump into this game, deal some shit, right? Shit escalated and eventually- exist in Flat Earth? It did not exist. Okay. Well, shit escalated, and eventually they came to Earth and helped humans launch a guerrilla insurgency against their colonizers and take back Earth. You right, Joey. Love you, Giants. Custodian. Yeah. (laughs) So, all that said, after they, you know, launched this guerrilla insurgency and fucking took back Earth from the few colonizers that were still there that were representing the Custodians and the Anawaki, the majority of their resources were depleted and being used in the war between each other. Well, the Custodians eventually won the war, came back to Earth, and were basically like, what the fuck? Like, what happened to our colonies? Everything's fucked up here. But with their economy tanked and their population in shambles, they didn't have the ability to recolonize the Earth. So they reached out to the Anawaki, made a deal with them in exchange for what else? Gold. And enacted a policy of controlling humans by any means necessary with the goal being humans can never rebel against them if they never know they are being controlled. When shit popped off the last time, a bunch of humans made it out, formed the Ancestral Republic, and have been waiting for the chance to come in and liberate Earth ever since. Ooh, and, um, uh, what was the last part? Ooh, and the Greys, the Greys actually work for the Anawaki as basically a bunch of clone servants that are used to help keep humans in line. Yeah, we had to catch people up there because if people don't know who the Anawaki are. Wait, yeah, I, I have yeah, a question. Yeah, no, the, the, so the giants yeah. are coming back to 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 refree the earth or are oh at this point they're hybrids between humans and giants but what what was your question that's what i was asking is like the who's coming back to liberate the earth uh ancestral humans ancestral humans thank you thank you yeah that's what i was looking for yeah yeah who and there's a decent portion of them who are hybridized with um giants at this point because if you fight together you fuck together um and and on top of that um oh shit i feel like i'm missing somebody oh uh the giants were the original gladiators anyways that that that's something in there too. um yeah so thinking about the giants um mm-hmm. just like speaking of human giant hybrids my uncle yeah. is like six foot four and his wife is like maybe five foot eight. And okay. my cousin came out almost seven feet tall. So when we mm-hmm. imagine those uh, giants, I'm just imagining a bunch of teenage football players. That's basically like what they look like. The Harlem Globetrotters. Your, your cousin is but, one of our liberators. Yeah, your cousin yeah. is here to well, free his us. Ancestors. ancestors, yeah. I salute your cousin's efforts to liberate us from this round planet. Well, I do want to say yeah, that. He did it through football. Yes. And I also want to adding to that, Selena, Eli Manning, um, uh, he liberated us from the New England Patriots perfect season. And I think that mm-hmm. uh, that was an amazing mm-hmm. gift that the Giants just keep on giving us. Didn't and what... he also save us from thirst with a Gatorade commercial? He did. Eli Manning, fully hydrated, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that from my childhood and being Dang. like, Who? In conclusion... The whole crew eventually dies of old age outside of the known lands. Morris and Butler keep trying to launch attacks against the custodians in the known world to free humans. 
it's eventually decided that spiritual liberation is the number one way humans can free themselves. And there is a long, long portion of this book that is basically saying, don't trust with the, with like anything that you see with your own eyes, right? Have spiritual belief that this is the truth and continue fighting forward. If you develop spiritually, we can beat the custodians. Now that y'all have heard the basics of this tale, I wanted to share with you what literally convinced me to cover this. And it was the Amazon reviews. Must read Awesome Truth by Horse Mom. Five stars. I could not stop reading once I started. The truth of this short story is engaging and a must read for every kid and adult. It has been translated bad and not edited well for English, but don't let that deter you from the message. Of course, the reader is left with questions, but getting the but getting the beginning of the truth out is so imperative. God is mentioned as source energy, and it all makes sense if you put lots of other stories together. This may or may not be the total truth, but it's definitely worth reading and looking at the similarities that are going on in our present world. It is a little expensive for a short book, but read and share. Wake up and resist the reset. Y'all can laugh out loud. This is fucking ridiculous. I'm sorry, but this is fucking stupid. I'm sorry. I will fucking call a hit on a hit. Like, this is not okay. This is bullshit. So, next one. Hmm. By Felicia D'Angelo. Five stars. Never once was God mentioned, so it makes me question a lot. It definitely has some things I know to be reality, but seems very fairy tale ish yeah Yeah. um so (laughs) you know a lot of things make sense if you put a lot of other stories together they just have to be grounded in reality first honey you can't just say hey what if it was what if it was but selena what if it was but what if it was was? there's a gay man what if it was don't don't try to shove your your science down my throat just listen what if it was? Makes so much sense if one has eyes to see and ears to hear by Sestina. Five stars. I believe it. It's the only thing that makes sense. This world is literally hell. Anyone who have read the sealed portion book would know this to be true. We are heading into the fourth dimension now and many are waking up. The few who run this world is scared of the great awakening that is taking place now. They know they have a short time. Bring on this five-month war so we can make our move and make heaven into earth. Guys, like this, like I'm I'm not like the there's six hundred and something reviews and it has like a four point five star rating. Like Wait. this shit keeps fucking going did you find the bad stars um the next one's a three star oh okay most of the bad stars yeah yeah almost all the negative was just like jesus christ this is edited like shit like it has nothing to do with the content like it's just like the editing is so terrible i'm pretty sure out of like a 95 page book there's only like six actual sentences in it the rest of it is just like paragraphs and paragraphs where there's like 47 commas 
like put in and I'm just like what is going on I can't read this shit it's so hard to read and so poor and I'm I'm not even going to knock the poor translation it's just really terribly edited like it's just so um, speaking, bad speaking of the poor translation um yeah the amount of times in the book that you told me that he was just like hey you got to trust me yeah <laughs> <laughs> and being like like the end of the chapters it would just be like and you gotta believe me yeah it was beautiful trust me and then it's it, like next chapter and it's like wait what it's beyond my thinking, ability to describe next chapter yeah <laughs> and i was like, like he wasn't lying what if what if he wasn't lying he just couldn't translate it from the original text he's like i literally have no words to describe it that was the fucking note from the translator yeah yeah um, <laughs> it's like really good but i'm not that good at this so like trust me bro um <laughs> yeah i i don't like it this shit just keeps going i i ask anybody anybody at all obviously the link to this book i wouldn't recommend buying but the link to this book is going to be in the show notes i i recommend you just just click the link scroll down to the reviews see if i'm making any of this shit up i'm fucking not all right that is literally the reason why i picked this insane ass book was because there was such a mixture between like people that are like, yeah, it's good fiction, it's good sci-fi, it's good this, and people like, it's the truth, all caps, you know, just like on the page, and I'm like, god damn, like people are fucking into it, man, and it's no joke, and we're gonna find out real soon. So next one, Meh by Johnny, three stars. Honest opinion is just Meh. I got into Flat Earth after getting deep into the Bible. Like anything, this seems like a psyop to push us away from the creator and accept it as is, and is instead an idea of other worlds. What NASA is for fake space bros, this is for flat earthers. So that is a flat earther who's like, this is fluff. All right, bros? Like, this is not fucking our shit. Again, diverse, diverse community. This is causing, obviously causing, like, you know, a rift in the flat Earth world. Um, but I don't know. Next one. 4.0. This is the title. 4.0 out of five stars. Author copied and edited the Iron Republic storyline. This, this was my hot tip at the beginning of the story. By Dan Birdie. Four stars. I'm reading the book in three sittings, which is rare for me. It's a topic I'm very interested in. The book does have obvious grammatical errors, as said in other reviews, but easy to overcome if you're into the storyline. I didn't see anyone else mention this in the reviews, but as someone who has read the article The Iron Republic by Mr. E.W. Barrington, not William Morris, which I'm going to disagree with them on there, in the Florida Magazine, this author copied much of that article, which was good because it is a fascinating and realistic story that I enjoyed reading and recommend if this topic interests you. He also changed the name of the Outer Island name because of this, from the Iron Republic to the Ancestral Republic. 
also good because he doesn't include the love story part from the Iron Republic, which I didn't like. Author edits include more modern, relatable topics, completely different backslash new parts about other outer worlds, and ends with a message of hope. My feeling was that this is the author's attempt to connect several esoteric stories, Dark Tower, Lord of the Rings, etc., as pieces to a puzzle, and this is his conclusion. In the end, I was glad I purchased and read the entire book, but I'm left unsure of the author's motives. If it's supposed to be a true story, why copy a different story and use different names? It's still worth the read and consideration of the possibilities of this seemingly fake reality. Okay, so I have an issue. Four stars in the first motherfucking thing he says is that it's plagiarized. Yeah. What the fuck kind of review is that? I and d- then it's like, yeah, I liked it better because um, there was a lady in it before and I didn't like that. So it's better. Um, I don't want to read the story that I originally read, um, which I found interesting. I would just ma- rather read this shortened plagiarized version. Four stars. Yeah. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. The stupidest <laughs> review Me I've too. ever heard. <laughs> Me too. Because the freaking love story is integral to this story. I wanted a love story in there. I wanted love. I wanted to hear about William Morris's family and how he got there. He sailed across the whatever ancestral plane. I don't know what he was doing. Um, He sailed across the ocean. I don't know. The ocean white with the white walls of the freaking ice walls. I just think of freaking Game of Thrones when I listen to this story and they get on the other side and all there's all these white walkers which they never explained in the freaking show. They just randomly died off and killed them off because, you know, blah 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 because they're amazing and the heroes of the story have to win. But yeah. I wanted that love story. I wanted William Morris's heart to yearn for his <sighs> wife and his kid and not just be like, "Oh hey, I haven't seen you in like years." Yeah, it's good to see you. Yeah. Hi, Skipper. Hi, Sailor Wife. I love wife, you to Captain the ends wife. of Flat Earth. Yeah, I love you to the ends. Don't push me off, though. <laughs> and then, you know, it's like, I just, I needed that because I didn't connect as much with this guy's story, you know? Like, yeah. you connect with yeah. that love story. You connect with the heart yearning. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just didn't connect with this. I still believe it's the truth, but you ju- I yeah, just can't obviously. connect with it you know i love a good story you know and this guy just mm. with the grammatical errors like you can, as, mm-hmm. as the writer said you can get past grammatical errors because when yeah. i'm typing you know um don't tell my clients I this i don't check but, what yeah I'm when, when i'm typing i don't use commas sometimes and, I, and i'll just continue a run-on sentence you know especially when i'm typing yeah. to gil or selena i'm just like hey here's a long story even though it's usually in memes hey here's a long story this is uh this is uh what's going on and they're like okay and gil is showing up the papers uh for the audio medium saying that he probably didn't use a comma at all a 17 page script not one comma or period okay you know why because periods are fucking round and commas are like a lazy round this is really fucking dumb like this is really fucking dumb and it's based off some dumb shit some dumb shit that within literally if you read the reviews of the book you're buying that convinces you of this you'll learn 
it's bullshit. Like, please don't go down this route. Like, I hope that if somebody's passively going in this direction in life, just, just take a quick segue, cut around real quick, look at where it's leading you towards, and step back and be like, am I cool with that? If you are, fine. Run towards it. Great life. Have fun. But if you're just dabbling in this shit, really stop and consider like where it's taking you. That's all. I'm sorry to get preachy for a moment, but Jesus Christ, this is some dumb ass shit. <laughs> and I'm nervous. So many people are into it. Like, I'm really concerned. I don't know. Go out, go out and get into um fuck, what's that called? What's that sunning thing called where you like put your Dang. asshole out towards the sun? No, 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 no. There's a fucking thing where you're supposed to like go out every day literally spread your ass cheeks and have the sun hit your fucking asshole and do that on a regular basis to feel better. What's that called? Anybody else know what that's called? I don't remember. Anyways, it's a fucking thing, okay? Go get into that, all right? At least you're getting vitamin D. Go. Go run towards it. Your your butthole's gonna get sunburned. That's fine. You'll grow up. You'll, you'll be okay. But, like... It's called perineum. Is that what it's sunning. called? Yes, perineum. It's a fucking thing. It's getting more popular. People fucking... It's a joke. No, it's not. I know. People are actually doing it, but it's a jo- it was a joke. Like this book. Like this book. <laughs> yes. Well, Anyways. guys, if you're if you're <laughs> sailing around the seas of this knowledge of this book, yeah. and you continue on your boat around this knowledge, just around the corner, you won't see flatness. Mm-hmm. You'll, You'll see, see a, a curve. You'll see a gaping asshole. Mm-hmm. You see a gaping asshole, which is the hole in the ice wall mm-hmm. that you're going into. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to go there because there's no knowledge there. There's no knowledge there. There's no truth. Yeah. So I don't that's know. why the water was black. It's, yeah. Yeah. My my one thing, and I've said I've said this before, I don't know if it's been on the show, but I, the one thing that I do respect as an argument about flat earth, I do have one fucking thing where I'm like, damn. You got me. Um, so, like, we think outside of the planet Earth, space continues on forever. It's infinite, right? It just keeps going. Well, they think that Earth or, or ground, land, water, whatever, just continues on forever. And their argument is like, okay, yeah, but you think space just goes infinitely? Why is it insane that we think that land just keeps going infinitely and i was like all right that, because it's that been actually... scientifically proven no i know i know it has and i know that like planets exist although according to the maps in this book mars is a collection of land and the pleiades system is a collection of land also the eden islands are a thing um all of the planets all the solar systems all of that shit are just collections of continents that you can travel between domes into, right? Um, there's 178 of them. It's fucking I mean, that's... stupid. <laughs> but yeah, I don't fucking know. We just fucking, we're flat. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I, I know. It makes sense, though, like when you think about it, though, because it's like planes of existence. Mm-hmm. And so they think of like, each and, and you know like let's go down this hole real quick mm-hmm. okay let's go into this ice wall hole right here we're gonna go straight through it straight we're gonna come it. out on the other side the other and side. we're gonna see we're gonna see levels of existence and if you want to add into this 
this conspiracy truth that we're going to talk about, each level of a multiverse mm-hmm. is like leveled on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And what I think is there, the understanding of it is that like our level is right here, right? So if you went back and made another decision in your life, you have another plane. And so the planes of the multiverse are there and they're looking at it like this, that we're on one plane and below us is another plane. Not in physically, obviously, what they think of it, but in like a ancestral or astral projection of it, you know, on another plane. And that other bubble that they couldn't get into, the celestial plane that they couldn't get into, is because they weren't from that area. And so our spirits changed and morphed into another place. And because we could only go there and they didn't have any other versions of themselves, they went there and went over there. And so we're like, cool. We just went into the ear of the next person that was just like us and made another decision. And so I think that that's how we change. And so when we die, we go to the next plane. And so that Mars plane that we're on, that would be the next life for us. And so, you know what I'm talking about? Don't you understand (laughs) where I'm going with this? (laughs) Joey, I couldn't agree more. And um, I'm just mad that you just released that on the show because that was gold. All right. I'm I'm pretty sure you better go lock your doors. The Anawaki are coming. They want that gold. Thank you so much for listening to the Black Cat Report and our episode on the Ice Wall slash Flat Earth. We really enjoy bringing you interesting and engaging content, so please do us a favor and hit the follow button wherever you get your podcasts. You can send it in to us, show ideas, via our email, contact at blackcat.report, or on our Instagram page. We can't wait to bring you more content next week, and as always, we'll see you on the other side. Also, happy birthday, Betsy Woo!